0: The Bible reading today is the second half of Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19, going to the end. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, that not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you Each day has enough trouble of its own.
1: Caroline, morning, everyone. My name is Mark. If we haven't met, I'm on the, the staff team here at Trinity Church, Allgate. It's great to be with you all this morning, and special welcome to any of our mainly music folk uh, who are visiting this morning. It's our pleasure to have you along. Uh, we have a real diversity of of people here every week. Um, we've got people of all, all sorts of ages. Um, we've got the young children who are here up the front, and then we've got Um, less young people than that. Um, Some of us will be followers of Jesus for our whole lives. Some of us um, for less long. Some of us just checking out who Jesus is. I suspect, though, that one thing that we all have in common is that we all worry. Uh, Some of us more than others. uh, But for all of us, there, there are things that we worry about, aren't there? So when we read a passage like this, and Jesus tells us five times not to worry It's easy to be a bit cynical about that, isn't it? You know, what would Jesus know about the complexities of the the 21st century lifestyle? What would Jesus know about the the issues that I'm dealing with in my life right now? And a question to to think through as we look at a passage like this is, what difference does it make to our worrying if we know Jesus? How can he help us with that? And as we start, let's let's just have a bit of a think about what worry is why it is that, that we worry. Now, worry is such an instinctive and, and emotional process. It's kind of funny to, to think about it in rational terms. But I'd say that there are two key ingredients for worry, and that's value and uncertainty. Value and uncertainty. So we worry when we value something, when we, when we hold it in high value. And when there's a level of uncertainty about that thing that we value. Uh, so just as an example, if I'm, if I'm driving down the freeway at 110 kilometers an hour, and suddenly my car starts, starts making funny noises, a light that I would never knew I had in my car starts flashing on the dashboard, I'm going to worry, because I value my physical safety, and I have no idea why my car is doing this and threatening my physical safety. So I'm going to worry about that. And you could apply the same thing to a test that you've got coming up at school that you're not sure about, a work project which is, has got a looming deadline and that you, you feel like you're out of your depth in, or perhaps um, worrying medical symptoms that you might have. All these things, there's, um, there's value, but there's also uncertainty, and that is what drives us to worry. All right, If you've got a leaflet, you see there's an outline in the inside. It's got some, some headings in there, so you can take notes or, f- and follow along. It'd be great to keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6 as well. Uh, you'll notice that the title of the sermon is, How to Be the Real Deal, Part 2. And you might be thinking, well, I wasn't here last week, I've missed Part 1, why have I even bothered coming? I'm not going to get any of this. Don't worry about that, it's, it's going to make sense as we go along. Um, it's, part 1 would have been, you know, it's, it's obviously helpful background knowledge to have, but if part one was essential, if you had to listen to every single bit of part one to get part two, um, we wouldn't have put part one on a long weekend, for starters, and we would have, would have given you a bit more, bit more heads up if that was going to be the case. Uh, so you, you'll get it as we go. Now, to put the passage in, that we've just read in its context, Jesus is in the middle of what we commonly know as the Sermon on the Mount. And that goes from Matthew chapter 5 through to the end of chapter 7. And it's instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples. Instructions about the kingdom of heaven. And when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about God's rule over his people. Uh, and And that's a rule that he's bringing about through Jesus. And Jesus is teaching his disciples how to be on mission to the people in the world around them telling people the good news about this kingdom of heaven. That's where we find ourselves. Uh, We saw in chapter 5 how the values of this kingdom, they they shape our horizontal relationships. They shape the way that we we deal with people around us, how we relate to one another. And then chapter 6 deals with how it shapes our our vertical relationship, so our relationship with God. In the first half of chapter 6, Jesus explains that we do our good deeds for God to see and to reward, not for, for people around us to, to see us and think highly of us. And as part of that, Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that prayer. And then verses 19 to 34, which we've just read, really, they show how the heart attitude uh, that lies behind that prayer shapes our values in life. So what we see in these verses is that there's a better life that's still to come, a better kingdom still to come, and it holds far greater value than anything in this world. We also have the certainty of a loving Father who provides for us. So the the value of a better kingdom and the certainty of a loving Father. That's where we're going this morning. So firstly, uh, the second point on the outline there, the value of, Of a better kingdom. Now Jesus taught his disciples as part of the Lord's Prayer to to pray to God, your kingdom come. And what he's doing here, he's now encouraging them to fix their eyes on that kingdom. And he does that, does this by using three illustrations to, to really draw out the difference between investing our lives in the things of God's kingdom and investing our lives in the things of this world. And the point he's making is that what God offers in eternity is so much more valuable than anything that the world offers in the here and now. Uh, so, firstly, verses 19 to 21. This was brought out in the kids' talk that we saw just a moment ago. Um, Jesus compares treasure on earth, which gets destroyed and gets stolen, with treasures on heaven, with treasures in heaven. Sorry, which last forever. The things that we have here on earth, they're not as secure and long-lasting as we might like to think. We've heard about Simon's leaking garage, which destroys a lot of the things in there. But how often do you hear of people losing money to to scams, to, to market crashes, court cases, you name it. The treasures that we have here on earth, they're not as secure as we'd like to think. And of course, even if they were, we don't live forever to be able to make the most of them, do we? Eternal life with Jesus, though, is something wonderful, it's something secure and everlasting. And so Jesus is asking here, are you storing up treasure that's going to last? Are you building up treasure on this earth, or are you investing it in the better life that's to come? You might have heard about the, the research, those research things you hear about from time to time where people take a whole lot of kids and they they offer them either one marshmallow right now or two marshmallows in 20 minutes time and I think about 95% of the children choose the one marshmallow now rather than waiting the 10 minutes or whatever to get the the two marshmallows and and we look at that and we think you know silly kids no sense of perspective at all but but really to to invest ourselves in the things of this world uh, when the things of heaven are so much greater is really it's like being a kid that chooses one marshmallow now instead of a million marshmallows in 20 minutes', later, in 20 minutes time. So, when, verse 21 here where we're storing up our treasure is a sure indicator of where our heart actually lies, the true desires of our heart. Uh, so, when we think about what it means to, to treasure something, we saw the pirate up here a moment ago talking about his treasure. Um, it's something that we, we seek after. We're constantly thinking about it, aren't we? Uh, It's where our time and our energy is getting poured into. So what do you find yourself thinking about when your mind wanders, when when you have a bit of a free moment, when you've got just a moment to think about it? What are the sorts of things that, that you find yourself thinking about? And what would be the thing in life that you're most afraid to lose, the thing that you're most worried about losing? there's a good chance that that's your treasure. That's where your heart is. In verses 22 and 23 then, Jesus compares healthy and unhealthy eyes. He's using the condition of the the eyes as a metaphor for for how we view wealth and material things and the effect that that has on us. Uh, So if our eyes are good, if we have a, a right view of material things it's going to do us good. It's going to be, be like having good eyes, which help to, to guide our body, show us where to walk, all that sort of thing. If our, if our eyes are bad, though, if we're, if we're too fixated on material things rather than eternal things, it's going to be like having poor eyesight and not knowing where to go. There's someone who's short-sighted and colourblind. I feel like I'm a pretty good authority to, to speak about that. So there you go. And then, of course, the famous words of verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And again, that was very vividly illustrated with the, the two beach balls trying to, trying to juggle them. Serving God, it, it means being devoted to him. It means living for his glory. It means finding out our meaning and our purpose and our joy in him. Serving money, though, it means living for my glory and for my pleasure. It means that I'm using money and material things to achieve my security and my happiness. Which means, really, that money becomes my God. It becomes the thing that I'm enslaved to and will make whatever sacrifices it demands. Now, just to be clear, the Bible is not anti-money. The Bible isn't saying that money is a bad thing. Money's really—it's not really a good or a bad thing. It's just a, a neutral thing, really. We can enjoy the things that God blesses us with in this world. You know, we can we can go on holidays, we can wear nice clothes, we can we can go out and have a nice meal at some to, at some point. What the Bible is against, though, is making money our god. Now, it means setting our hearts on the things of the world rather than the things of God's kingdom. Because if my security and my happiness is, is tied up in the material possessions that I have, the money that I have, that's what my master is. You know, every day we're bombarded by conversations and advertisements that are telling us how great the things of this world are. Ah, like I heard somewhere that the average adult sees thousands and thousands of advertisements every day, and you know we, we don't even notice that. That's just the air that we breathe. I don't, I can't remember a single advertisement I've seen in the last week, and yet apparently we're seeing all these things. And so we need to be intentional about growing our picture of who God is and how wonderful the promise of heaven is, to make sure that our heart is constantly being fixed on that and not the money. And material things. And this is something that goes beyond just money and possessions as well. It's talking about anything temporary uh, where we're storing up our treasure. And that might be our achievements, our popularity, our just our life experiences. They're not bad things, but they're not things that we should be putting in the place of God in our life. So what is it that you treasure? What is it that you're striving for? And here's, here's just a question to think about. It's an interesting one to, to ponder whether, whether you're here as a, a Christian or just, just checking church out. Imagine if someone who had never met you before had spent the last week with you. They'd, they'd walked around with you. They'd seen how you spent your money. They'd seen, heard the conversations you've, you'd had. They'd seen everything that you've done. And if someone was to ask them at the end of that week, What is it that you treasure and serve in your life? What would they say? I found that a very challenging question to to apply to my own life, actually. So we have an everlasting kingdom, which is far more valuable than the temporary things of this world. And we also have the certainty of a loving Father who we can trust to provide for us. So from verse 25, Jesus moves from the topic of money to the topic of worry. And he starts off saying, therefore, at the start of verse 25, to show that um, what he's about to say about worry is very much driven by the previous conversation he's had about things that we value. Because we worry about things that we value, don't we? If our treasure is our our money and our possessions, that's going to be what we worry about. Now, just to make a side note here... um, I just want to be clear. There's a difference between the the worry and the anxiety that Jesus is talking about here and anxiety as a mental health condition. Uh, So just Jesus is talking about very much an instinctive sort of worry which is driven by the the values that we have. He's not making light of mental health or anything like that. So I just just want to be clear that there's there's a a division between those two different types of anxiety. So Jesus isn't trivialising anxiety in that sense of the word. Uh, He talks about the basic necessities of life here, food, drink, clothing. And he points out that even the birds and the flowers have these things provided for them by God. Now, we saw last week in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus says that we have the privilege of calling God our Father in heaven. So God sees us as his children and so if God's got the birds and the flowers sorted, how much more can we trust him to, to be caring for us, to be providing for our needs? Now, I don't want to downplay the angst that it can cause if you've, if you've ever found yourself in a situation where um, you have financial insecurity or where, you, where you're worried about anything else. For that matter, I realise that um, the worrying circumstances of life can, can, be, can play on on our minds very much but Jesus shows us that there's there's one important factor for how we can handle such difficult times and that is the knowledge that we have a loving and all-powerful father in heaven who has complete control over all of our circumstances and he's using them for his loving purposes And so Jesus says in verse 33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, so the things that God knows that we need, will be given to you. Now, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that's a a pretty radical command when you think about it. It means that the thing that we're striving for most in life is not to to fulfill our own personal ambitions, it's not to, to build up our own kingdom, if you like, but it's to wake up each morning determined to live for God's glory, to see our personal lives and the lives of the people around us being transformed to reflect God's kingdom values. Am I doing that? Am I living each day to see God's kingdom being built up rather than my own? What would this week look like for you if you committed to seeking God's, God's kingdom and God's righteousness each day? And all these things will be given to you as well. Now, how do we understand a passage like that if, when we know that throughout history and right up to this present day, Christians haven't always appeared to have everything they need. In fact, people of all Walks of life and faith haven't appeared to have everything that they need. It's a tough question. And a helpful way, I think, to think about this is um, a quote that I read in a book a while back um, by a guy called Tim Keller. Uh, the book is called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And it's a quote that's it's really stuck with me since I've read it. Uh, Now, I couldn't find the page of the book, so I had a quick man look through the book yesterday and couldn't quite find the. (laughs) So I basically opened the book up and couldn't see it, so I gave up. But um, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but um, the quote is essentially, God gives us everything that we would ask for if we knew everything that God knows. God gives us everything we would ask for if we knew everything that God knows. So it's basically really saying that, that God has a perspective on things that is so much wider than what we do. And we, we see the, the little details of, of our immediate here and now, but God's got such a wider picture that he's able to, to look at things with. This has been very real for me in the past couple of weeks. Um, most, most of our regular members would be aware that Alicia, my wife, miscarried the week before last. And... It's something that does get you asking questions, like like how would a loving God do this? Like, what reason could He possibly have to be doing this? But it's actually been a great comfort to know that even though Alicia and I, and well, everyone here for that matter, sees a small picture of our lives, a small picture of the world, God sees the whole zoomed-out picture over over time and space, and He knows what we need better than we do. And we can trust him to do what's ultimately best, even if we can't understand why that is at the time. So that's been a great comfort to us. We worry when something is valuable to us and when there's uncertainty about that. Jesus tells us that the only things of ultimate value are the things that will last into eternity. And he assures us that we have the certainty of a loving Father, a Father in heaven who loves us and provides for us. Now, he's not saying that we should float through life without a care in the world, not not expecting things to go wrong. He's not saying that we we shouldn't work hard and that we shouldn't seek to make wise financial choices in our life. In fact, I think that the Bible tells us quite clearly that those are, are things that we should do in other places. What Jesus is doing, he's giving us a framework to think through what we worry about. Am I worrying about something that is imperishable? Am I holding too tightly to it? And can I trust God to provide for my needs in the midst of this uncertainty? Miriam was up here for the birthday song just before with her 10th birthday. A, a church that I was at previously, we had the, the same birthday song, and we had a lady get up who was about 80 years older than Miriam, um, and so we, we sang the birthday song for her, and afterwards she, she stayed up there. She didn't, didn't get down immediately. She stayed up there, and, and she said, look, I'm, I'm 89 years old, and I just want you to know that God has always been faithful to me. Now, that's now, I would bet any amount of money you want that there have been worries that she's had throughout the course of her life, things, things that she hasn't been certain about in life and times where she has wondered where God is. But that's, that's the perspective of being able to look back and see God's faithfulness over that period of time. And if we ever doubt that God loves us enough to provide for our needs, we only need to look to the cross. God sent Jesus, his own son, to die in our place, so that we could come into a right relationship with him, completely forgiven of everything that we've done wrong, if our faith is in Jesus. And because God raised Jesus from the dead, we know that our everlasting heavenly treasures are secure in him. Jesus' death and resurrection and, and what it means for us, it's right at the heart of what we celebrate as a church. It's what we particularly celebrate at Easter time. Chris was up here a moment ago talking about the the celebrations that we'll have for Easter, including the the celebratory barn dance on the Sunday night. Um, So if what you're hearing this morning is is quite new to you, then please feel free to to come along at Easter time, come along to those services and, and hear more about this good news about Jesus that we celebrate. And of course, feel free to come along any other week as well. Now, if anything you've heard this morning has raised particular questions, please feel free to come and have a chat to myself or Chris or to someone else after the service. And you might be here this morning as a regular member or perhaps a visitor, and there is something that you're worried about this week. There's something that you're, you're really distracted in your mind and really scared and concerned about. Uh, we don't, we don't want to leave you hanging on that. If that's you, we'd love to, to pray for you. Um, whether you're someone who normally prays or not, we'd love to to be able to bring those concerns you have before God. Uh, So you can either come up to the front after the service has finished, the people will go out for morning tea, it won't be everyone watching to see who comes up, but there'll be a couple of people up here to to pray if you'd like. The other option is to fill out one of the the contact cards in your leaflet, just just let us know the thing uh, that you'd like to have prayed for. Now those Contact cards are treated with appropriate confidentiality so they won't get put up on our Facebook page or anything like that. But um, anything that you write on there that you'd like prayer for will get prayed for uh, confidentially by the staff team. We live in light of a better kingdom to come and a loving Father who we can trust to provide for us. Knowing that isn't going to give us a carefree life. It's not going to mean that we can be financially irresponsible or anything like that. But it will shape the values of our hearts. It's going to to shape where our desires and our values lie. And it's going to give assurance to us that in all circumstances of life, we have a Father in heaven who knows what we truly need and a Father in heaven who will provide for our needs. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we give you great thanks that although you bless us with many things in this world, you give us money as something that we can use for your glory and material things that we can enjoy. That you offer us so much more than that in the long term, and that these these things that you give us in this lifetime are really just a shadow of the heavenly treasures that last forever that you offer us. Please help us to to have a right perspective in our lives, uh, to be able to. Enjoy the things that you give us, but to be able to not be mastered by them, to not seek our identity or our happiness or our joy or anything like that in these things, but to know that uh, the things that we truly need are things that you alone can provide. So please help us to look to you for those things, to trust you to be able to provide those things and uh, to delight in you. And we ask that in all this, we might give you great glory in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.